1: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
2: This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com dot com slash sacred text today to get ten percent off your first month. That's betterhelp dot com slash sacred text.
0: This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by MeUndies. deserves a super soft super comfortable pair of me undies lounge pants there are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun expressive prints and they come in sizes extra small to 4 xl guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody and like i said already they have unmatched comfort their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater it's also breathable stretchy and oh so comfy making it ideal for all day wear me Undies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at meundies.com slash HPST. That's meundies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. Me Undies. Comfort from the outside in.
1: Chapter 16 Professor Trelawney's Prediction. Harry's euphoria at finally winning the Quidditch Cup lasted at least a week. Even the weather seemed to be celebrating. As June approached, the days became cloudless and sultry, and all anybody felt like doing was strolling into the grounds and flopping down on the grass. I'm Casper Turkyle.
2: And I'm Vanessa Zoltan.
1: And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text.
2: Before we jump in this week, we're really excited because we are releasing an extra little video As many of you know, we have these videos that we post on our YouTube channel and on Facebook where we look at a scene from the Harry Potter text and because of the sacred way that we are engaging with the scenes, we try to come out with a different possibility, a different reading, and we hire this amazing animator who just helps it all come to life. So this Friday, July 14th, we are going to be releasing our first ever mid-season video. Usually we do one per season, but we were just too inspired So go to our YouTube page, subscribe, and if you would like for these to come out more regularly, please consider becoming a Patreon member and supporting us with your help. We'll be able to make more and more of these and explore big themes like, why is Casper so handsome?
1: I hear there's many videos made about that.
2: Oh, really? I haven't seen any.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So on with the show. Vanessa, what's your story for today?
2: About a year ago, I decided that I was going to buy a car. And I went over. I go regularly to Shabbat dinner to friends of the podcast, Rebecca and Charlie Ledley's house. And their now four-year-old but then three-year-old son is one of my best friends. We'll call him Stevie for the sake of the podcast. And he's just a great conversationalist. For example, when Casper, Ariana, and I went over to their house for Shabbat dinner once, their son asked Ariana, what do you dream I mean, it's just like great questions. He's just a great question asker. So I was over and we were chatting and he said, Nessa, what's new? And I said, well, actually, I'm thinking about buying a car. And he asked a great question because he always does. And he said, what color are you going to get? So I was like, that is a great question. I hadn't thought about it. What color do you think I should get? He got quiet for a minute, and I sort of thought he'd, like, lost interest in the conversation and was like, ooh, peas or whatever amazing thoughts three-year-olds have. But then after, like, a pretty protracted silence, he looks at me and he goes, Nessa, why are there no pink cars? And my mind was blown. I was like, why are there no pink cars? So he and I spent some time about it, wondering about this question. We both came to the conclusion very much that it was probably to do with the patriarchy, his idea, not mine. And so I left dinner that night. And just so everybody knows, I did the best I could. And I bought a red car as close as I could get for Stevie. But now, first of all, I often wonder Why are there no pink cars? But what's more interesting to me is that now whenever I do see a pink car, which is rare, but whenever I do, I wonder at the circumstances by which it came to exist. I'm like, did you special order that color? Do you have an amazing three-year-old friend who made you want that, right? It's like these questions come up for me. And it just made me think that wondering begets wondering. Just like love begets love and forgiveness can beget forgiveness. I would just really marvel at the way that wonder can bring on more wonder and casper also what do you dream
1: imagine if that was the question that everyone asked at like cocktail parties or family (laughs) reunions
2: lovely to see you it's been a while what do you dream
1: (laughs) because it could be like what do you have dreams about but also like what do you wish for the world and for yourself it's a beautiful question
2: it's a wonderful question ariana was very awkward in her response but it was an adorable (laughs) question she's just awkward she was like i dream about capitalism
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh i'll tell you about someone's dream in this 30 second recap
2: i look forward to it on your mark get set go
1: so this whole chapter is really about the difficult exams that everyone has to take. And um, Hermione has like two exams at nine and two exams at one. And Ron and Harry like, what's going on? And they kind of, you know, bish, bash, bash through the different exams. Uh, and everything seems to be going OK. Obviously, potions is a disaster. Um, but then they come to uh, the one by one divination exams. And everyone's like, oh, just make something up. But you can't tell anyone because if you tell someone, then she thinks she's going to see horrible things. Harry goes in, says he sees Buckbeak escaping. But then um, she goes into a prediction and says, coming back.
2: it's a long chapter you did very well you got a lot
1: just feel like every chapter is so dense with excitement and now because we're coming to the end of the book it's like really ramping up
2: yes and you put forth a valiant effort
1: okay vanessa here we go yeah three two one go
2: so the um, suspense around how Hermione's taking all of these exams really rises. How is she going to take like nine million exams at once? Um, they have all of their exams and the weather is really nice and so that sucks. And then they go to their divination exam. And Trelawney is like the Dark Lord will rise again and it will be reconnected with the servant. And then it turns out that they, they go back to the common room and are like, uh, oh, my God, Trelawney predicted that the Dark Lord is going to rise again. And Hermione is like Hagrid found out that Buckbeak is going to be killed and we should go down and visit him and say bye.
1: Vanessa you were taking it very easy towards the end you were like I'm just coasting you didn't mention a very important bit that they actually go down to Hagrid's hut and there's some kerfuffling around with the invisibility cloak and then they hear an axe chop and they think Buckbeak is dead it's like big news
2: look I did my best and I just don't like talking about animal cruelty it's right?
1: very sad
2: it's so sad we can get into that more But so sad.
1: Hey, Vanessa, you know what's cool about this week? Hmm. The word of the theme is in the chapter.
2: I love when that happens. It's so cool.
1: Okay, so it's right after Trelawney's prediction. And the text tells us, Harry climbed back down the ladder and the spiral staircase wondering. Had he just heard Professor Trelawney make a real prediction? And what I especially like about this sentence is that it actually helps us really dig into what wondering means, because I feel like there's a couple of different ways to define, you know, what it is to wonder—
2: Right. So the more like technical way is just curiosity, the kind of wondering that immediately leads to a Google search, right? Like, oh, I wonder what year that happened in. Mm -hmm. And then there's like the bigger kind of wonder, which not only is unanswerable by Google, but is perpetually unanswerable, right? Like, I wonder what happens to us after we die. And I think that the second, you know, the unanswerable questions one, that leads to the moments of awe, where you're standing in the middle of a field looking at amazing mountains and you're just... Standing there in absolute wonder and you don't even know, forget that the question is unanswerable, you don't even know what the question is. You just feel this profound sense of wonder at the beauty of a baby, at the beauty of nature, at the love that you feel for someone who you don't even know but is across the train from you. So to me it comes down to that.
1: This is so cool, because in the text, you know, I read it as one sentence, but there's actually some punctuation that I think illustrates both of these levels. So I'll give you the text again. Harry climbed back down the ladder and the spiral staircase, comma, wondering, space, dot, 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 space. Had he just heard Professor Trelawney make a real prediction? And to me, that says exactly what you were just saying, that his first reaction is just this like, awe and wonder at this possession of his teacher's body giving a prediction about him and about Voldemort in a way that is way beyond his experience or understanding. And he's just flummoxed by it. But in a way that that has some admiration, I think. And then he comes to that second type of wondering and he asks a very concrete question. Had he just heard Professor Trelawney make a real prediction? Is this true? He's thought she's a fraud throughout the school year. Is this what it looks like to make a real prediction? So that really makes sense to me, those two levels of understanding what wonder is.
2: And I also think it's interesting that he's descending a staircase like a ladder. It's like he's coming back down to reality. He's leaving this cloudy, smelly... Alternate space up in a tower. And then as he comes back down, he's wondering a more concrete thing. He's like, okay, this is probably verifiable. Was that a real prediction or was that not? I can run an A B data test that will tell me, you know, whether or not, right? Like, and he can. Within 24 hours, he's going to have an answer to the second wondering, but the bigger like awe wondering and the role of Trelawney and predictions and fortune telling. That is something that we're all going to be wondering at throughout the series.
1: Well, and not just the series, but kind of in our own lives. I don't know. I walk through a city street and so often there'll be a little sign of, you know, visit a psychic here or poem readings available. I think so many of us look for those kind of fortune telling experiences because we're grappling with questions that are beyond our own knowledge. Yeah, like, it's not just in the book, it's in our lives.
2: It's very much in our real lives, because I just went inspired by these books to have my tarot read. And it was amazing how much I felt comforted by having this man tell me things that, you know, whether or not they'll end up being true, it was a real pastoral spiritual experience to just have someone talk to me about my future in this, like, confident, lovely way. Well,
1: I really like that idea because wonder doesn't happen by itself. I think sometimes wonder needs some structure around it because especially in our world, we live with yes and no answers and we need clarity and strategic plans and timetables and all of that kind of thing. And, yes, that's what you need to run a train system. But to make meaning of the biggest questions and the most difficult and wonderful experiences of our lives, a timetable is not going to help with that. You need something that enables you to ask questions and think broad thoughts in the presence of beauty and and I think in some ways that's the missed opportunity with Trelawney in these books is that she could represent and teach something which is so powerful. You know, in divinity school we call it meaning making. It's essentially like how do you use stories and images and songs and ritual and and potentially tarot cards or, you know, glass orbs and tea leaves to help one another ask life's big questions. And I think we see both Ron And Harry, to some extent, and certainly Hermione, dismiss that skill, especially in this book, when, you know, Lavender and Pavati are, are actually embracing that and probably training to be like wizarding chaplains.
2: Yes, I love that. They are priestesses. Oh, my God. But also what is so interesting is that Harry actually has a true premonition in this room. Ooh. So I think he's an amazing example of sort of faking it till you make it. So he's in this room in which he is like ritualistically being asked to have a prediction and because Hagrid and Buckbeak are like on his heart and on his mind. He says, I see a hippogriff. And then Trelawney pushes him through some rigor, whether or not these are her intentions. And out of love, Harry, I think, realizes how important it is to him that Buckbeak ends up okay because he says that he sees Buckbeak fly away. And wouldn't you know it, Harry is going to be the one who makes that happen. And I wonder if it is because of the rigor of this room and being forced to articulate this to himself that he's able to then make it happen later. Ron has been trying to protect Buckbeak and Hermione has, but Harry has been sort of out of it. So in this moment, I think Harry realizes, no, it's actually really important to me that Buckbeak escapes.
1: Yeah, maybe it's the secret, you know, that idea of like, if you wish for something to happen, then it happens. Again, I don't know how much truth there is in that, but it certainly frames his mind to think about helping Buckbeak escape that, you know, might shape his plans just a couple of chapters ahead.
2: And I think that there's like an important distinction between the mentality of the secret and self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Believing in yourself, not like if I believe in myself, I can learn to fly and start jumping off of buildings. But like... If I believe that you can help in the criminal justice system, then you are more likely to like go out and train yourself to be able to help. Yeah, I think that Harry visualizes himself helping Buckbeak and circumstances conspire for that to become possible, and Hermione can, you know, mess with time, which helps. But yeah, I think that he has a real premonition. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some
3: not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grim Old Place, so you need to find a new home Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started.
0: This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by MeUndies. Deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all-black classics to fun, expressive prints. And they come in sizes extra small to 4XL guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody, And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh-so-comfy, making it ideal for all-day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash H-P-S-T. That's MeUndies.com slash H-P-S-T for 20% off plus free shipping. Me undies, comfort from the outside in.
2: But Casper, what do you make of the irony of the fact that Harry has a true prediction and then Trelawney has a true prediction, but Trelawney is like, nope, no new predictions happened in this room right now?
1: Yeah, it's fascinating. Right after she kind of finishes her trance, you know, her head falls forward. And then she says quite suddenly, I'm so sorry, dear boy, she said dreamily. The heat of the day, you know, I drifted off for a moment. And Harry's like, Uh, did you just predict that Voldemort was coming back? And she's like, what? No, he must not be named. My dear boy, that's hardly something to joke about. Rise again, indeed. I would certainly not presume to predict anything quite as far fetched as that. So she's totally undermining the Prediction that she's just offered, and I don't know this. This just an enormous irony that she's so intentional and controls the predictions that she's giving in the classroom. You know about Neville and the pink teacup breaking, and yet when she's actually making a prediction that's coming from way beyond her own intention, she invalidates it. I I feel like she's reacting to her own talent in the most destructive way. Like she's not allowing herself to wonder at the amazing thing that's just happened. What if she'd said, oh, really? I thought I dozed off. What did you hear me say?
2: Yeah, I feel like she's like constantly using this skill to manipulate people. And like that invalidates her, right? That she is rather than like succumbing to it or being curious about this potential power, that she's reducing it to a tool by which she can manipulate is taking all of the wonder out of it. And by sucking the wonder from it, She's sucking all of the like potential beauty and magic from it.
1: Exactly. One thought I had thinking about this is that is there an age dynamic? To that pattern. I think when we're young or when we're students, you have permission to wonder and you have permission to ask questions. And she's an authority, right? She's a teacher. She's supposed to know the answers. And I think maybe it's not just a linear pattern. Maybe it's like a curve, right? That we start with lots of permission to ask questions and to wonder. And then as you go into middle age and kind of professional capacity and parenting, like there's less of that. And then maybe as we get older again, you have permission to kind of be radical in your ideas again. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, I feel like it's something that I hear about educators. That it's like, oh, I really like it when a teacher will say, oh, I don't know, but let's look that up together. And I think that that's true, but also... I think it's a fine line, right? We want our professionals to have the answers. And so, yes, to some extent, I want a surgeon who's like, well, let me look that up. And on the other hand, I want a surgeon who just knows. And so I think that sometimes we pretend that we have less wonder than we do in order to instill confidence in others. And I think when you have more authority than somebody else, it is your responsibility to some extent to perform that authority and then secretly wonder and go look it up to make sure you really know. But I'm okay with people faking it a little bit.
1: Well, I think that takes us back to the do different kinds of wonder, right? Like, yes, I want a surgeon to, even if he doesn't know the answer, to like, maybe not share with me that he doesn't know, but quickly use his kind of Googleable type questioning, right? The wonder where the answers are knowable to figure it out. But I think it's dangerous when we try and say that we do know the answers to questions that are unknowable. You know, I think we've seen, certainly in religion, you know, this is what happens when you die, A, B, C. And if you behave incorrectly, then you're going to D, the hell station, or whatever it is. I don't know. Like, that has been really dangerous and destructive. So I feel like we need to differentiate between the types of wonder.
2: Absolutely, A surgeon who is like... I promise you that no matter what, you're going to come out of this surgery with X, Y results. That is a kind of confidence that I don't want. Don't try to answer unknowable questions. But if it's something that you can look up when I'm not looking, if you can like do a quick search on your phone and then be like, yes, this is how many aspirin you should take because that's surgeon's job is to tell you aspirin quantity. I'm just super fine with you faking it.
1: That makes sense. That makes sense. The other thing that strikes me is that, you know, because we're seeing so much stress at this point in the story, right, all the exams that are happening, buckbeaks impeding judgment and execution, all of that stress doesn't allow for wonder. And I think we need unstructured time and few responsibilities, right, to allow ourselves or to kind of find a bridge into that part of ourselves, which is comfortable with wondering and not knowing. And I love that at the beginning of the chapter, we have this little picture that paints that, right? There's this easy, lovely summer day and the squid is propelling itself dreamily across the lake, right? There's this like very pastoral scene where where you can imagine lying down on that warm summer day and kind of looking at the clouds and wondering, but no one is doing that because everyone is freaking out about, you know, revision for, for History of Magic.
2: Revision means studying in American.
1: Oh, do we not use that word here?
2: No, we don't revise. Revise is to fix here, not to study.
1: Thanks, Vanessa. I didn't realize that was a different word. Yeah, yeah. But I do think there is something interesting to this because Harry suddenly starts drawing on knowledge that he learned in a similar moment earlier in this book.
2: When so, Florian Fortescue was trying to corrupt him with capitalism, according to you. <laughs>
1: right, giving him those free ice creams. But not only were there free ice creams, he was telling lots of stories about medieval goblin wars. And suddenly, Harry is drawing on that knowledge for his exam. And it just made me think, like, when do we learn best? Do we learn best in this stressful environment where, you know, we're trying to cram in knowledge 30 minutes before an exam? Or do we learn best when we are in this, like, spacious, sunny ice cream future? time of learning about history that just struck me as interesting
2: Absolutely. And I want to get to that. Just first, I want to say you sure have changed your tune on Florian. I'm glad you've come around to the ice cream side of things.
1: I'm full of multitudes.
2: (laughs) I don't know if this is true, but um, something I read once about Ben Franklin is that he would take a nap in the afternoons on a cot and fill his hands with pebbles and then lie down and have his hands on either side of the cot because he found that he had his best ideas right as he was falling asleep. And so he would try to fall asleep with, Pebbles in his hands, and then as he was falling asleep, his hands would let go, and the drop of the pebbles would wake him. And then he would write down and keep a diary of whatever it was that he was thinking about right as he was falling asleep. And given that this is the man who like invented the bifocals and created the first public library system and the first public firehouse and a million other things, I just think there's something to like creating that spaciousness for ourselves, right? Like he was a busy guy, but he. Created that spaciousness, that like chocolate ice cream spaciousness where real learning happens. What? That's what I call it. Chocolate ice cream time is when I learn.
1: Vanessa, it's time for our spiritual practice, and this week we're doing Floralegia, which means that both of us choose a little snippet of text, a sparklet, as you will, and we're going to put them next to each other and try to understand what does one inform us about the other, and then what do both of them together help us understand about the text as a whole. So again, an old monastic practice where monks would take bits of the Psalms, put them together and really kind of create a new text, as it were, from these different sparklets. So what did you find in this reading?
2: So the bit that sparkled at me was he had provided a large tub of fresh flower worms. What about you?
1: I chose just three words. Tonight before midnight. Mm. So let's put those next to one another. So I'll, I'll read yours and then I'll read mine. He had provided a large tub of fresh flobberworms tonight before midnight. So what led you to choose this piece of text, Vanessa?
2: I mean, I love the word flobberworm and the alliteration of fresh flobberworms. I just love the sound of this sentence. He had provided a large tub. And I love that Hagrid is, like, providing large tubs of magical creatures to students. And I know that this is an easy exam and, you know, and that Hagrid is depressed right now. But still, like, what an amazing effort for a teacher to go through to, like, get a large tub of fresh flower worms and bring them for students to learn from. So... Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just weird and beautiful.
1: And what's interesting is that there's the alliteration at the end of the sentence, fresh flobberworms, but also at the beginning, he had. So I don't know, there's like some mirroring happening here. And I'm just trying to think what that might mean. Like there's a circular, wait, Vanessa, flobberworms, you know, you said it's like an easy exam because The whole point of the exam is to keep them alive. And the only thing you have to do to keep them alive is leave them alone. And I'm just suddenly seeing the parallel with Buckbeak and how hard Hagrid has tried to keep Buckbeak alive. And, you know, Buckbeak is doomed for execution. So uh, He's
2: like, here, show the world how easy it is to just leave animals alone and keep them alive. And how much that
1: matters. Like, oh.
2: Oh, my God. That's so sad. And this immediately goes to the tonight before midnight, right? Like Buckbeak is supposed to be executed tonight before midnight. But if you just leave him alone like the Flobberworms, he'll survive. What about you? Why did you pick tonight before midnight?
1: I just think it's so dramatic. (laughs) You know, this is in the midst of Trelawney's prediction, tonight before midnight. You know, it's like how every great prediction should start. It has something of like a fairy tale in it. There's a precision, right? It is tonight, but it will be before midnight. And it's interesting because it's not the witching hour, right, which is later. It's after midnight in the very early morning. This is still kind of in the late evening that this will happen, whatever she's predicting. I don't know. So there's an immediacy to it and a a drama. I'm just all about the drama.
2: Yeah, and what's so great about Tonight Before Midnight is that, again, it gives this, like, end time so it's verifiable. It's like this either happens by midnight or this prediction isn't true. But it's vague enough that it's like sort of any time between. Between, like, 5 p.m. and midnight, but definitely by midnight. So I think it gets to, like, the heart of wonder of, like, you're not exactly sure when, but definitely by this time.
1: So, Vanessa, now let's really read them next to one another. And sometimes it's fun to change the order in which we read them. So do you want to read mine first and, and then yours?
2: Yes, happily. Tonight before midnight, he had provided a large tub of fresh flabberworms.
1: Ooh. So we're now looking for, you know, what can we learn about one from the other? What's the relationship between the two? And, I mean, one small thing, just as you read it, that struck me was that Hagrid's had to go out and collect these flobber worms, And I guess I hadn't thought about the labor that had gone into preparing the necessities for this exam. Is there anything else that strikes you? Tonight before midnight, he had provided a large tub of fresh flobber worms.
2: Yeah, the two together... I think speaks to how many little things have to happen in order for any given thing to happen. We never know the different things that transpire in order for our lives to unfold. And the tonight before midnight, I feel like the drama of it and the specificity of it and the limitations of it speak to that of like tonight before midnight, he had provided a large tub of fresh flabberworms. You know, like if he had done a different exam, who knows how the rest of the day would have gone, right? So even providing the fresh flobberworms is like part of this landscape of things that end up happening. So what if Hagrid had done an exam on squids, maybe Voldemort wouldn't have risen.
1: But if we truly believe in predictions and prophecies, it would have still happened, but a different way.
2: Yeah, but do we?
1: Dum-dum-dum-dum-dum.
2: These things are complicated.
1: I mean, the other thing that strikes me, Vanessa, is that, you know, worms we know are not very dramatic creatures. And this Tonight Before Midnight is such high drama I don't know, in a way that kind of points to how these books work as well, right? Like there's the monotonous every day, the squid pleasantly going across the river, and then suddenly we're fighting the Dark Lord, you know? And I feel like, I guess I'm asking myself, is that how life really is? That's how narrative works. And narrative is kind of how we make meaning of our lives, right? We tell ourselves the story of, oh, it's been a really quiet week, or I've been really busy this last month. But moment to moment... I'm not sure it always fits within the pattern of the story that we tell. And so, again, you know, it just makes me think of what if someone else had told us the story of this whole experience, right? The Prisoner of Azkaban and Hermione Granger. You know, we would just get such a different story being told about exactly the same events.
2: And Luna Lovegood, who's like here, but we just don't know her. Right. Like Luna's hanging out and she's like, hello, I'm interesting.
1: (laughs) I can tell you about (laughs) worms."
2: I always think that that's interesting when somebody says, oh, I had the worst day, and then they tell you about their day, and it's like one bad thing happened to them, but actually there was no traffic. It wasn't like everything went poorly. And when I did my clinical pastoral education in an emergency department, it was the starkest example of like high drama and complete monotony. So I would only get paged if there was a level one or a level two trauma. So like either a dead or dying person, that was the only time I would get paged. And there was literally nothing to do when you weren't engaging with either a dead body or a dying person. So I would watch YouTube videos of, like, Jennifer Lawrence's acceptance speeches.
1: That's high drama.
2: High drama. And then get page and have to deal with, like, a life and death situation. Eight hours would pass with, like, I wonder what Mindy Kaling wore to the SAG Awards last night. And then dealing with somebody's parents over a motorcycle accident. And so I do think that that's the way that the world works, that it's like super high drama and a lot of monotony, a lot of Mindy Kaling's outfits, which she is such great fashion. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimald Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin, it's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.
1: This week's voicemail is from Laurie Benson on the theme of betrayal.
3: Hi, Vanessa and Casper. This is Laurie. Um, I just had some perspective on The Midnight Duel, Chapter 9, on Betrayal. In the late 1980s, my husband was a military pilot, and he he chose a plane... um, a larger plane instead of a jet that was safer to fly and you stationed for the military in more family-oriented locations. And so he felt like it was a safe plane and a safe move for a family man. And many of his peers in the Navy were not married and did not have children, but we had two children at the time. And um, one morning he went to work and found that in the middle of the night that two of these very safe um, planes that he had learned to fly and trusted had crashed together over the Indian Ocean um, in something called a hot swap where one plane is supposed to take the place of another plane. And for some, whatever miscommunication that happened, the plane taking the place of the other plane came right up underneath the belly of the plane and they burst into flame and uh, 27 of his friends were instantly killed. And it was such a hard day for our squadron and for the military base that we lived on. Everyone was very close. And he said that he walked out of the hangar and saw the cars and vehicles of his friends who had driven there in the night to take their flight and fly these planes. and. As he looked at each car, um, realized who the, the driver was and exactly which of these friends had been killed. And when he came home, he was unconsolable. And, of course, who can console someone who, I think I was 25 at the time, 25 years old, who has the words to tell someone that it's going to be okay? But I remember that one of the things that he said was, I trusted this plane and it has betrayed me. And you asked in your podcast, like, how do you get over, how do you live with something who has betrayed you or someone? And you know, he had no choice. He had to go right back and fly. And I think in his case, um, getting over the betrayal was time time and more practice and sticking with the thing that had betrayed him and continuing to fly it and having more time and experience in a healthy way. So I really enjoy your podcast and that was just my take on betrayal and life experiences and we've been married now for 33 years and have had many more life experiences and I think how to get over betrayal is to carry on. Just carry on in the same way and trust that life works out in the end.
1: Thank you so much, Laurie. I'm so struck by the clarity of this memory, you know, more than 20 years later. And I really appreciate you bringing in this dimension that betrayal isn't just something that happens between people, but that it can feel like it happens between a machine or a process, something that we trust that then doesn't do what it's supposed to do. So thank you so much for for sharing that story. I, I really appreciate it.
2: So, Casper, now we each get to bless someone. Whom would you like to bless this week?
1: I think I have to bless Hagrid. You know, at this point, he is really resigned to the fact, you know, the executioner joins the committee. So it's a foregone conclusion what they're going to rule in, in the appeal. And he's not even angry. He's just... He's just so sad and resigned and, and is trying to make the best of it for Buckbeak. So he lets Buckbeak go outside and he says, I think Buckbeak should see the trees before he dies. And for all his faults, like Hagrid is just the embodiment of care and love. And yeah, I guess this blessing is for anyone who's facing something which feels insurmountable and is trying to be kind and loving in the face of real tragedy. How about you, Vanessa? Vanessa.
2: <laughs> I would like to bless Professor Trelawney for the moment that we talked about, which is that after she has this like really profound prediction, she comes to and justifies that she was napping. And I think that all of us, when we do something amazing – We want to dismiss how awesome our accomplishments are. And so I want to encourage anybody out there who's just done something amazing not to say, oh, well, I was just really lucky, but to really celebrate that there aren't a ton of moments in Professor Trelawney's life in which she has these real moments of prophecy. And there aren't a lot of moments in which we truly get to celebrate ourselves. And so if you are having one of those moments, I encourage you to just say, yeah, I just predicted the future and just Own it and celebrate it.
1: You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can still buy tickets for our live show on the East Coast, which starts this weekend. Philadelphia has now sold out, but you can still get tickets for New York and Washington, D.C. We would love to see you there.
2: Don't forget to check out our video. If you subscribe to our YouTube channel, you will be the first to find out about it. And then please support us on Patreon. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook. Leave us a review on iTunes and send us a voicemail.
1: Next week, we'll read chapter... To 17 cat rat and dog through the theme of innocence with special guest kathy 2 from the nancy podcast this episode of harry potter and the sacred text was produced by ariana nedelman vanessa zoltan and me casper kyle our music is by Ivan Paisal and Nick Boll, and we are part of the Panoply Network, where you can find ours and other great shows on panoply.fm. Thanks for this week's voicemail to Laurie Benson, to Rebecca and Charlie Ludley, and their delightful son, who's not called Stevie, and Stephanie Purcell. What is the Big Dipper? Like, I, w- I want to learn how to recognize it, but have I Googled that? Not really. I'll
2: show you the next time we're out at night. It's super recognizable. Next time we go on our midnight swim, I'll show you the Big Dipper.